Edmonton. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello and welcome back to another episode of That Sums It All Up. Hope everyone is well. Arsenal beat West Brom 3-1 at the Emirates last night. Today we'll have some words on the win in the Premier League, but focus more on the backdrop of Arsenal's exit in the Europa League semi-final to Unai Emery's Villarreal. Of course, we're all very devastated at the way in which Arsenal have finished their campaign. To help me through it and to discuss all the big questions facing the club, Johnny Rosen joins us today. So, Johnny... Good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, as always, how are we today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing fine. Just kind of processing from a football standpoint, processing everything that's happened over the last week. Or I can't remember the last time we spoke was probably quite a few weeks ago. It was to do with the Super League, I think. Yeah. So that's that's kind of that was a lot to process then. Kind of went up, went down very quickly, and now more specifically to Arsenal processing the the Europa League exit, the wider implications of that. We were obviously just discussing off air um, before the pod started about our league position and kind of comparing that to last season. And there's some sort of interesting comparisons to be done there. But no, in general, just, just doing all right. What about you? Yeah, same as you, to be honest. I think, I mean, we, we were fortunate enough to watch the West Brom game yesterday together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was saying to you that, you know, this season, regardless, obviously if Arsenal had reached a final and, and maybe we weren't sort of thinking too much about where we were finishing in the league and we had that, the classic sort of Arsenal salvaging the season moment, I think the drain and the, the, yeah, it's just been such a long sort of draining season. And I think now that there's sort of nothing to, to salvage it really does make it make it uh, more, all the more um, clear that Arsenal's season has been really disappointing and frustrating. And I think fans have had to put in a lot more sort of commitment and uh, sort of watch from afar because obviously the engagement is is not in the stadium and there's been so many games in such a short period of time. And I think it's been very sort of tiring and for Arsenal to sort of have gone through as fans what we have and and really try to engage and get behind the players and the team. And and knowing on the one hand that, you know, we, we can only expect so much and there's so many mitigating circumstances or have been, but to sort of have it finish in the way that it has, at least from, you know, the Europa League perspective, I think was a real crushing blow and a sort of, you know, bringing back down to earth moment where this is really where this team and, and the club and the manager are at the moment. And so... Yeah, like you, I've sort of just been trying to process it and and looking at it from a from a greater distance because it's been so I've been sort of so closely following everything and really hoping that there'd be something to show for it at the end of the season. I'm sure the players and the manager as well aren't, aren't any different in that. But we look as if we're going to finish the season for, well for the first time in 25 years without European football and you know, maybe finish lower than we did last season, which was eighth. And that was our lowest finish in, you know, something ridiculous like maybe 20 odd years or something like that. So, you know, it's not it's not really a, a pleasant conversation to be had between Arsenal fans at the moment. But as much as we could say, and I think most people would agree, you know, our season is sort of in the bin. Um, I don't think saying, you know, let's just write it off. I mean, in some ways, yes, but I think there's so much to to learn hopefully from this season and discuss moving forwards um, as fans. And I think that's, that's part of it as well. You know, how we process these, these really tough moments. It's just for Arsenal fans over the last few years, it seems to have been a sort of annual sort of continuation of, of the same issues. And it looks like it really has sort of caught us up at the moment, but look, before we get into the, the bigger sort of picture and questions, I do want to talk briefly about the game yesterday because obviously it's not important in the same sense that the Europa League was important. But I do think it is still uh, significant that we got the win and showed that the players are still working hard and 
Um, you know, not all is lost because I, I've seemed to remember times before where we've crashed out of a competition and then we we play a really limp sort of, of league game. And then, you know, for example, if Arsenal had lost 3-0 yesterday, then, you know, what happens after that, I think is really important to show that we can still, as the players should, show that they are still capable of producing performances and results when they've struggled to do that so much this season. So what did you make briefly of the game yesterday? We, we won't spend long on it, but... Um, did you think there was anything to sort of say about it? And then we can take away sort of where that leaves us in terms of the league season and then get on to the wider context of, you know, the getting knocked out of the Europa League. Yeah, no, I think, as you kind of said, the, the kind of final four games of this season are, are pretty inconsequential, you know. it's mm. we're, we're playing for ninth, eighth. Like we don't want to drop out of the top half. I think that would be really embarrassing. And I think when we win, it's always nice as fans. We always want to win a game. You know, we played well yesterday. Bit of a shaky start, I thought. But it's it's going to be like, I think the next few games will be like this. It will just be us playing football. There's there's no, there's nothing we're playing for other than to put points on the board. So it's a good performance, Good, really good goals. All three, really nice. You know, happy for Smith Rowe to get his first Premier League goal. Um, Pepe, we've seen him, you know, score those goals in the past. We know that's in his locker, that sort of kind of Mares slash Robin sort of finish where he cuts inside. And and William, great free kick. We were kind of saying yesterday as we were watching the game, look, if he's going to be an Arsenal player. Uh, for the remainder of his contract, at least let's have him contribute and score goals and put away set pieces. That's one of his sort of specialities is his free kicks. And even if he doesn't have the legs to kind of beat his man on the exterior as a winger, he's always will have that technical ability to stick a free kick um, in kind of the top corner from 25 yards. So let's utilize that. And it was good to see one of those go in. I actually don't think he's taken that many. This Maybe he has, maybe I'm forgetting but I think we've all kind of chopped and changed that role from whether it was I don't know Pepe, Lacazette, Xhaka, Aubameyang so we haven't had a designated kind of set piece taker but yeah good just good to see him score his first goal really but no as as you can kind of tell I'm clutching at straws to uh <laughs> to make yesterday's game sound interesting or important. Um, from a tactical perspective, Saka at left-back, probably it was the only standout sort of change. As, as we know, he's you know, more than capable of playing that role and did really well. So it was an interesting kind of one. I, I think Arteta must have been racking his brain after the game, after you know seeing how well Saka did, the, the threat he poses kind of from an attacking perspective and just surely that would have been the way to go from the off you know I know Xhaka's left back sort of experiment worked very well against Sheffield United but we're talking about a Sheffield United side that will go down amongst the worst sides ever in Premier League history (laughs) and after that game it didn't really do much and you would have thought had you just left Xhaka in the midfield and he would have naturally dropped into that kind of left centre-back role when the left-back bombs forward like Saka did, it would have kind of compensated for that anyway. You didn't need to move the team around as much and have that weird Sabayos hybrid left wing-back, left centre mid-roll. And really, sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. Mm. And we should have just maybe gone Saka left-back from the off mm. and Saka in midfield. Do you think part of... I you know I think everyone's sort of talking about the Saka, I mean, issue, I guess it is a bit of an issue because he's been so, he's arguably been our most important and arguably our most consistent uh, attacker this season. And we've obviously been without Kieran Tierney, so it makes sense to sort of try and move him back. And we've got other attacking options as well. So it sort of makes sense to, to consider that as an option. But I think Arteta, you know, until yesterday, he, I mean, I read, I read, before the game, apparently Cedric Suarez was was in line to start at left back yesterday until quite um, until late on before kickoff. So I don't know what happened there. I know he's been unwell, but it does seem as if there's been a there's been a reticence to use Saka at left back 
and use um he's been using Xhaka there um instead and I think part of that as well is also because maybe we've lacked David Louise um and he's been injured obviously and I think if you're playing Bakayo Saka sort of left back alongside maybe Rob Holding and Pablo Marie the the experience and the sort of quality and these are all sort of soft qualities we're talking about the intangibles like leadership and experience but you know, I think maybe if you have David Luiz fit consistently, then you're more inclined to maybe play Saka at left back as opposed to, you know, playing Saka in a back four with, I don't know, Pablo Marie and, and Gabriel. Anyway, you know, that's that's water under the bridge, as, uh, as they say. And look, it worked yesterday, but it could have... We were reminded how good he can still be as an attacking threat. And the argument I think some people make is that we don't want to move him out of that front line because you take away the attacking threat and he's one of our most most consistent players. But arguably, he was our most dangerous player yesterday. But from left back, he was getting in behind so much. And he made the team look more dangerous. And yeah, that I think was the biggest takeaway from a tactical point of view yesterday. And as you say, some really good goals. Um, You know, Saka setting up Smith Rowe, which was a which was a lovely bit of play. I mean, Saka was getting in behind on the left channel so many times, and Pepe scored a cracker as well from the right hand side. I mean, he's obviously a player who I think he has improved markedly sort of over the last few months, and he's become more consistent. But you can still see in his game, you know, he has these magic moments, but then will lose the ball plenty of times. I think before the he scored that goal, you know, he was he was not having the best game, but I guess he's one of those players where he'll keep trying to go forward and take people on and have quite a few shots and it will come off a lot of the time. So I think it's really good to see sort of a bit more consistency in his game. As for Willian, look, he I thought he had a pretty pretty poor game as usual, but I'm a, an Arsenal fan and I don't want to not support my players. And I think when someone's been as bad as Willian has been, I think there's an inclination to sort of almost not want him to do well because it's you know, he's consigned to this abject failure kind of position. And I thought it was it was a nice moment and you could see, it was nice to see him smile. I don't think I'd seen him smile on the pitch once um, so far this season. And yeah, he looks, he always looks very like upset or like there's a cloud constantly over his head sort of thing. So yeah, see. exactly. And it was great to see the players, you know, I think you could tell how much that goal meant for him and the players mm-hmm. celebrating. So clearly, look, he's he's a well-liked player. And as you say, look, if it was up to me and I think up to most Arsenal fans, you'd sell him in the summer if you could because it's a transfer, albeit a free one that hasn't paid off. And if you're going to be ruthless, like Mikel Arteta has suggested in the last week or so, then you sort of have to cut your losses and, and move him on. But look, we've got him on a three-year contract if he's going to be around next season, I'd rather he scores a goal and has a strong-ish end to the season as opposed to just, you know, wasting away on the bench like he has been for a lot of this campaign. But was there anything else at all that um, that stuck out for you for the in the West Brom game? I mean, look, we're, we're four points behind Tottenham now, um, ninth in the table. As you say, it's important, I think, to finish as strongly as we can in the league because, of course you get more money for finishing higher up in the table and you don't want to drop down into the bottom half just for a sort of, um, you know, it would just be incredibly embarrassing, even though finishing eighth or ninth is embarrassing. But we were saying before the game, our position is sort of a reflection of where we are. I think we are have been, you know, that, that good this season, the ninth best team in the league, all the teams above us. I don't think you could argue we deserve to be above any of them. So... Yeah, that's sort of where it leaves us going into the last three games of the league season. Yeah, no, I think, as you said, it's really important. You just want to finish strong. It's something we always did well under Wenger. We'd always finish you know, very strong. We'd win our kind of last five, six, seven games of the season. And that would often propel us to fourth or third because we'd often spend large parts of kind of the, se- the season languishing in around kind of sixth place often to make that final push and just somehow uh, uh, you know, often on the final day of the season you know I remember games against West Brom there was a 3-2 win there where their keeper Martin Phillip had an absolute clanger 
uh, and gifted us, I think, all three goals. And then there was that, you know, season when we were away at Newcastle and Koscielny scored on the last day of the season to secure fourth. Obviously, there was the 2006 last season at Highbury when we beat Wigan and they and Spurs lost to West Ham. So there are loads of times where it kind of it went right down to the wire and um, and our strong finishes were really the thing that helped us secure Champions League football. Obviously, this season, that's not on the cards. But I think positively, the teams we're playing, kind of Chelsea, Palace and Brighton, from a league perspective, they're not really playing for anything now. I mean, Brighton and Palace are mathematically safe. Chelsea, I don't think they're going to drop out of the top four and their priority is now the Champions League final and the FA Cup final. So assuming we kind of play against teams that aren't super motivated in the league, there's there hopefully is an opportunity to get, yeah, I'd love three wins out of three from the next um, few games, but even if we go to Stamford Bridge and get a draw, win our last two games, I think that would be a pretty strong finish. And we were saying kind of before we started, it would actually mean us finishing on more points than last season. So then at what point do we say, well, actually, from a league perspective, maybe this season was slightly better, even though it's been terrible, mm. than, than last season? Because if we've accumulated more points over a 38-game season then you'd have to say statistically it's a, it's a better season. It's more successful, even though, you know, as Arsenal fans and as a club, we should define success uh, at a much higher criteria or barrier than sort of getting to 58 points or 60 points mm. rather than the 56 points we accumulated last season. It's technically, it's an, an, an improvement. And, um, and that's something I think Arteta can take and say, well, look, we've, we've slightly progressed, not a lot, but a little bit, and let's build on it next season rather than getting worse. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really important to, look, we're not actually, you know, there's the off chance that we qualify for the Europa, European, I don't even know what it's called. I, I've Conference sort of, League. Conference League. I mean, what, I don't even, I haven't paid enough attention to know exactly what it is, but it's the third tier European competition and you qualify for it if you finish what, seventh or eighth? Seventh. Seventh, yeah. Um, so sixth or fifth get Europa League spots automatically. Mm-hmm. Where seventh used to be a, it was, seventh place was the sort of knockout round Europa League Mm. Spot. and now you go straight to the Conference League group stage I think when you finish seventh yeah interesting so I guess that would be better than nothing and there's a small opportunity of us you know we, we have something to play for in the sense that that's not mathematically out of the question but it just in terms for a you know if we the difference it would make perhaps for the you know, the beginning of next season if you if you lose the next three games then I think it's disastrous for sort of you know, morale and, and look, we, we can't, we're, we're sort of at a very low point, but, you know, as you say, the results and the remedy for sort of disappointment is for fans and players and the manager as well. You've got to win. You've got to build the confidence and that comes from consistency. And if we can at least be a bit more consistent in the, in the last four league games, including the West Brom win, then you say, look, I mean, finish a, in a better position than perhaps if you lose all those games. And I think it's really important for the manager to show that he still has the 100% commitment and he can still motivate these players when they're at their lowest. And that would set us up better. I mean, look, we're talking like fans sort of already looking at this, the optimism of a fan sort of look ahead and, and think how we can get through these, these really difficult moments. But I think that is something that Arteta is going to have to do as well. Um, and I don't think anyone, he, he'll probably be the first one to admit that his position ordinarily would be under scrutiny, but it's because he's in these exceptional circumstances. I mean, maybe we overplay them, but I, I don't think his job is under threat immediately because I think they're very much planning to sort of back him during the summer. And he's, you know, we've heard numerous sort of inside sources suggesting that he's part of the, he's not part of the problem. He's part of the solution, that sort of thing. So, I mean, Let's let's take it on to to just going over the Villarreal sort of 
um, result in the end, sort of getting knocked out in the, in the, after the two legs against Unai Emery's Villarreal. And then we'll take that into the wider conversation towards the end of the season and going into next season and where that leaves Arteta, the players and, and the club more generally. Mm. Look, it, it wasn't enough against Villarreal. We lost the, the first leg 2-1 and we were lucky really to get that goal. And we did next to nothing in the second leg. We, we made it incredibly comfortable for them. I thought Villarreal would deserve to go through, but they did just enough, whereas we didn't do nearly enough. And I think that is a, that's a real disappointment um, because we didn't give them enough trouble. Um, I think we were capable of more during those two games. And I think that is sort of on the manager. And I know there's plenty of mitigating circumstances injuries and stuff which we'll get onto again because I think they have hampered our sort of ability to be consistent this season when everything else is sort of suggesting that being consistent is really difficult but as I said earlier that you know we're facing the prospect of 25 first time in 25 years without European football the performances weren't good enough the results weren't good enough and you know we've been saying it all season really that our performance in the European competitions I mean when we played Benfica Olympiacos Slavia Prague we weren't good enough. And as, as, as we progressed throughout the competition, the opponents were, I mean, inevitably going to get good at some point. And we were far too inconsistent. We gave ourselves too much to do, too many poor performances in the first leg and then having to, you know, really scrape through by the end of Bamiyan getting us out of jail or Saka sort of working, working his magic. But in the end, we sort of, I think it, it's the chicken sort of came home to roost and, I don't think we can say we would to be surprised and we deserve to go through because I don't think we did. And I know you, we, again, we managed to watch the first leg together and you said before the second leg as well, you, you weren't expecting Arsenal to go through. And I think that's a, that's a sort of realist uh, perspective. I think a lot of fans sort of think, Oh, well, of course we can, we can go through, but when you actually think about how the season's gone played out, then this is what we've been like for large parts of this season, sort of slow build up, not getting, taking our shots on goal, freezing at key moments, lacking, uh, lacking a, a style of play that can get us the results we need, relying too much on the fine margins. And when you're not a good enough team, then those fine margins inevitably don't go your way. So where do you want to start in terms of talking about the Europa League exit? Because I think, you know, we'll talk about the way in which maybe other factors influence the team selection and players getting injured and not being fully fit. But where do you want to start basically in terms of why we did not progress through to the final? I think if we look at the tie over both legs and you're, you're already right. You know, as you said, we watched the first leg together and I think even before kickoff, I said, I didn't think we'd go through and I kind of made that, judgment just on the fact that I was considering how we performed in the Premier League over all the games so far and in the Europa League where other than the first leg against Olympiacos where we took a 3-1 league with three away goals into the second leg we'd really been very poor in in the kind of the Benfica game drew 1-1 and obviously in the Slavia Prague quarterfinal, another 1-1 draw. And we left ourselves with a lot to do both times in the second leg. And then in, with the Olympiacos tie, we, we lost the second leg 1-0 because we sort of put the tie to bed in the first uh, first leg. And I was just thinking, look, this, this, are, these, this Villarreal team are much better than any of those teams. And when we haven't improved at all throughout the stage of a comp- the competition, you know, usually... You know, and I think you can kind of see it with maybe with Chelsea in the Champions League. Teams get better as they progress through the knockout rounds. And we just have stayed the same, completely the same in the Europa League. We had you know, the Arsenal performances against Benfica were, were, were actually better than the Villarreal performances. It's not like we improved our tempo, we improved our kind of tactical know how uh, in a semi final European. You see a semi-final of a European competition. We just stayed at the same level. And if you're staying at the same level, which isn't a very good level in the first place, and the teams you're facing are getting better and better and upping their level, 
eventually you're going to get found out. And, and had we have scraped through against Villarreal and then one of Aubameyang's headers or shots ricochets in off the post rather than out, there's no chance we would have beaten United in the final because that, that level is so big. The gap between our level and their level at the moment is massive that it would have taken really you know, a miracle to have beaten them. So I just I thought at some stage we were going to get found out and it made sense. You know, Emery obviously has a wealth of knowledge on us as a team, as a club, the ins and outs, the players knows them very well. And it just, just didn't think we would have gone through. And so mm-hmm. our performances mirrored that really. They were so lacklustre and kind of lame over two legs. I think we had four shots on target over the two legs, which is just ridiculous. I mean, it's really pathetic when I think about it, to think, you know, I don't know who you apportion the blame to. Is it Arteta? Is it the players? It's it's a combination, really, of the two. Is it the wider kind of executive structure at the club? And I think that's more of an existential issue that needs to be looked at in isolation to the Europa League exit. Because on the pitch, you know, Josh Kroenke wasn't playing as that left wing back hybrid. Uh, as sub- that was Sabias, and, and Sabias needs to take responsibility for having one of the worst Arsenal performances in a kind of major European game that I can remember. Well, you can remember one a fan who's been watching Arsenal can remember several incredibly disastrous performances from Danny Ceballos in, in the Europa League this season. So again, it's, yeah. it's it's sort of similar to before. There was no improvement. There was no changes. This was going to keep happening if you keep playing those same players. And um, yeah, I think it's obviously, in, I think it's more on the manager in these, in these two legs. I think obviously he had plenty to contend with, with what with David Luiz missing both legs and, Aubameyang sort of not fit for to play full, the full 90 for either. And Lacazette obviously has been injured. Erdegaard's not looked himself since he got that ankle injury. Uh, Granit Xhaka, I think hurt, his absence hurt us a lot in the second leg too. So, you know, there was plenty to contend with and and sort of, you know, even with Ceballos suspended, I don't think we would have wanted him to play in the second leg. But, you know, then without Xhaka, without Ceballos, you've got Thomas Partey, who's struggled without a partner next to him. It's a shame because him and Xhaka look to be developing that partnership. And then we sort of have to move Xhaka to left back. And I think in hindsight, the team would have been better off keeping Xhaka in midfield with with Partey and, and sort of making do with something else at left back. But look, there are plenty of really tough decisions for Arteta. And as we know, he's, he's still a rookie manager. He's inexperienced. He gets his substitutions wrong. He doesn't make them. And I think it's understandable that especially when the pressure's on and we haven't been very good this season, he made some decisions which ultimately backfired. And I think he got his lineup wrong in the first leg, um, you know, playing Smith Rowe as a false nine and not playing with a recognised striker. Did he have an option to? I mean, I mean, I guess he could have started with Nketiah or Martinelli, but that backfired. And then playing Thomas Partey on his own with, with Erdegaard and sort of Smith Rowe flanking him in the middle, I think also backfired. And I think that in itself is a sign that the you know Arteta was sort of floundering. He didn't really know what to do without those key pillars in his team, i.e. David Luiz, Xhaka, Lacazette, arguably Aubameyang. Those those guys are the, the most senior players and, and have been sort of, you know, maybe at points underperforming, but they have stepped up over the last few months, maybe, bar maybe Aubameyang. And I think they the team sort of... Arteta really missed those players and tried to compensate too much for their absence. And I think ultimately, you know, that all culminated in in being far too conservative and, you know, changing it too much and playing, sort of trying to establish a style that the players on the pitch clearly couldn't, couldn't sort of execute the game plan. So did you have anything? And as you say, look, it was, it was way too sort of tepid and uninspiring and, you know, we didn't deserve to go through in the end. But by the same token, you know, uh, when you look at it sort of objectively, the players on the pitch are capable of producing more, do you not think? And then, well, where does the where does the blame lie? That's with the manager. 
Yeah, no, I think the manager, Arteta, he sets the tone. He sets the, temp te the tempo for how the team's going to operate at. And he got it completely wrong in the first leg, you know, by a million miles. We all saw that the false nine setup didn't work. We were, I mean, our midfield was non-existent. And for 60 minutes, I mean, we were, we were really lucky to come out of that first leg, just 2-1 down. It could have been 3-4-1, 3-0, you know, who knows? We don't get the penalty. Leno really keeps us in that tie with mm. a few saves, especially that Gerard Moreno save, which would have made it 3-0. And you just think, you come into the second leg, yeah, you know, it's not quite the same as having crap, you know, it's not like a big home second leg because there's no one in the, uh, in the stadium, but they've still had to fly over to England to play the game. We're, we're in our home stadium. And I thought we'd really take the game to them a bit more. And as the game ticked by, I remember like, you know, 10 minutes in thinking, well, you know, it's not been the best start, but... It's 10 minutes in, there's plenty of time to go. And I just, that mindset sort of persisted until it got to the 75th minute. And I was like, well, it's been a pretty abject 75 minutes other than kind of two shots that have gone off the post. We're really kind of cutting it fine here with 15 minutes to go and need to hurry up with it. And it just became more and more apparent that the goal was never going to come because I, I think Arteta really just got his tactics wrong. And he does... And maybe this is a kind of consequence of spending three or four years under Pep, but he maybe slightly overthinks these situations or tries to be too clever. When often, I think, just playing whoever you've got available in their best position sometimes is just the simplest move, you know. Starting Saka in his best position, starting... Pepe in his best position, Xhaka in his best position. And just going from that kind of structure would have maybe made more sense. I remember during the second leg, seeing a lot of calls on Twitter to get Elneny on just to provide that structure. Now, mm -hmm. Elneny's definitely not anywhere near one of the best players in the squad. But what we were lacking in the second leg was just the ability to play sort of straight balls, 10 or 15 yards, in the center of the park. The, the game was so congested in the wide areas. You know, we saw Coquelin for Villarreal was basically playing as a, as a dummy fullback doubling up on Saka or Pepe whenever they broke on their wings. And actually the space was in the middle. We saw Smith Rowe very occasionally exploit that. We needed to build from that base. Uh, and that called for kind of very kind of limited technical players like Elmeni just to play simple passes into the striker or into the attacking mid. But I, yeah. yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as you're saying that, and I think Elneny's done, we spoke about it yesterday, he's done a, a good job when he's come in for the most part this season, but he is not someone who passes the ball forwards. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans before the game were quite encouraged by the, the lineup. It, it looked as if we were going to go sort of with the players on the pitch, it looked like we were maybe just going to go for it and try and throw the kitchen sink at them. And that sort of never came, really. And I, think, I do think the Xhaka injury, obviously, in the warm-up has to have some sort of significant effect to how we played. Because, Big time. I, I mean, you could tell straight away from Tierney, uh, from the first 10 minutes, that Tierney just wasn't at the races. He wasn't bombing forward. When he was bombing forward, he was struggling to get back. A lot of the times when he receives the ball from, say, the centre-back, Pablo Murillo passing the ball, his first thought is often just to go up the line and bomb forward. In this game, he was receiving it and just passing it back to Murray. And then it was getting recycled out to Bella inside, who had a woeful performance. And I think could have been the last time we see him properly in an Arsenal shirt because mm. I, I don't think he lost the summer. And, and quite frankly... He's had, a, he's had a really poor season. I think if we expand this to a bigger kind of sample size and look at the season as a whole, we can kind of evaluate players on how they've performed. And a few of the, only a few have really improved. And it was interesting. Uh, I was listening to the Ask cast earlier, as I'm sure you were. Mm. And they speak about what players have flourished under Arteta. There aren't many, are there? 
yeah, they only really say, you know, Saka, Smith, Rowe, maybe Tierney, maybe Holding, maybe maybe Xhaka. But but the vast majority of players, I think, have either stayed still or gotten worse. Of course, a lot of these players aren't very good players to begin with, but mm. serious questions now, I think, over our data. Yeah. I agree. And look, let's let's just like have a final word on this game in its in of a in of itself. Um as we said before, this was a culmination of sort of what we've been like for the majority of this season. A team who don't create enough opportunities, we don't take enough shots. Uh the system didn't necessarily fit sort of the talents of the players on the pitch. Um I'm all for, you know, it's a it's a it's a Europa League tie. It means a lot. There will be a degree of conservatism and sort of pragmatism as well but I think we aren't good enough or we were lacking the players at least even when they are fit we're not good enough almost to rely on those fine margins and I think the way in which Arteta set up was to you know the way he spoke after the game it suggested he was going for that 1-0 victory and that's it and it's like that look you're, you're making your job very difficult to to sort of achieve what what's set what's expected of you when you're you know, you're relying on scoring a single goal and, and setting up for that. I mean, maybe, you know, we're not, he's not experienced enough to, to do that. And we don't have the players used to playing together who are capable of executing a plan that's set out to score one goal in a second leg of a Europa League tie at home where we have struggled big time this, this season. So, look, it's, it is a case of, I'm all for sort of implementing a long-term plan and sticking to it. But I think we've seen that Arteta has been trying, he's been forced or whether he's, he's felt he's had to sort of change the, the tactical sort of setup and the roles in which the players are asked to do. And I think ultimately it hasn't paid off. And I don't think we can, obviously we, we, we blame him, but can we really expect anything less? I think he's inexperienced. He doesn't have enough assistance around him or, um, you know, the the know-how is, who, who have been in those positions before. And it's interesting because I think last season we were so enamoured by the fact that he looked as if he was a really innovative, sort of had his head screwed on sort of coach who could really get the most out of this group of players when we knew that maybe they weren't capable of much more. And we saw it with the FA Cup win in the end. But I also think, you know, those were single leg ties. And I do think, you know, to have two legs... I think it almost shows that we're a team that's so reliant on those sort of fine margins and to win a game sort of, yeah, I keep saying it by fine margins, but over two legs, you know, we, we've been an inconsistent team over the last couple of seasons and under Arteta, we haven't been able to sustain it over a period of the season. And I think, you know, it's sort of in a way that the two-legged affairs that we've struggled in so much in the Europa League this season have almost served as a microcosm for how we've been over the whole season. And we, you know, we rely on small moments in single games and, and that's when we've had spells of, of success. But look, let's move on to the bigger picture and our season as a whole. We've spoken briefly about the fact that we've got a few more games left to go this season. I think it is important to finish the season strongly. It's important that the manager shows he shows to us and to the players that he is still the man for the job and whether he is or not, I think, you know, the, the tide has probably turned on Arteta. I think the majority of Arsenal fans would probably say that he, his job should be under severe scrutiny at the moment. And I don't think many people, you know, the fierce sort of Arteta advocates will be questioning their faith at the moment because the results and performances have not backed it up over the last few weeks. And sort of after our, our, our improved period since Boxing Day when we beat Chelsea, funnily enough, it will be interesting to see sort of, you know, we're playing Chelsea on Wednesday, how that progress has sort of evolved. Um, but look, we've still got stuff to play for in the league. We've got to finish as high as possible. But this season has been a complete sort of underachievement and underperformance. And I remember we were sp speaking at the beginning of the season and, you know, we thought we could build on the FA Cup win and signing Aubameyang to a new deal and, and doing some good, well, what appeared to be good business at the time and getting certain players out. And we did that at Christmas and young players coming through. But in the end, it just hasn't, it hasn't come off. And there are huge questions um, 
And I guess the question is, well, what now? And what, 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 where do you sort of go first for that question? What now? Well, I mean, it's quite a loaded question that is very broad. The what now question, I think Arteta, I personally, I believe, I, d- I don't think Arteta should go, but we need to be asking that question. And that's a question that will really now be constantly um, there, whether he's the right man for the job. It would. Have, I know a lot, I've listened to a few other podcasts who have kind of said, look, let's get him out now. I know, who is it? Tim Stillman has quite vocally said he doesn't see Arteta as the man for the rebuild. He doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust Edu. And and there, I have some sympathy for that, but I think realistically, I don't see Arteta going anywhere um, in the next six months. And I think his position will really be under uh, threat and will really be up for kind of evaluation in December. That will kind of mark obviously a two the two year cycle since he joined, mm. and that's when real progress. We can kind of determine if any real progress has been made in those kind of in that two year cycle. I. I'm interested to see what happens over the summer. I know I literally just saw online um, Chris Wheatley at Football London saying Arsenal are hoping to raise around £60 million in player sales this summer to carry out their most significant squad overhaul in decades. Uh, I think would also receive some some funding from the Cronkies, which they've, I mean, they've said they're going to back Arteta financially in the summer so it'll be a very interesting uh, few months off the field see what happens see who stays who goes who comes in I think for me and this was what I was when we were going through that really barren run in November and December before the the Chelsea fixture I all my frustrations were really with the players and I was looking at this squad and I was like well these players just aren't good enough but actually, a lot of them have gone. I mean, Mustafi's gone. Kalasnic has gone. Ozil's gone. Maitland-Niles has gone on loan. Um, Fine, then is still there, but he'll probably go. Socrates has uh, gone. Socrates has gone. So, a lot of those players, Runison's going, you know. It's, he made it's the not, bench. Yes, he made the bench. Yeah. yeah. To see him, I'd forgotten completely about him until yesterday, but... A lot, so a lot of those players, then they're, they're not really there anymore. I still think there's quite a, there's a few players that aren't good enough, you know. But they're 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 going by default. So Bios, he's gone. You know, he's, we don't need to sell him. We're just not signing him from Madrid. Enketia will go. Um, so my issue is now less about kind of who we sell, unless we see some sort of surprise sales. And more about who can we identify to bring in your recruitment has been what's led us down over the past five years. I think it's been recruitment, of course, but it's also been the management of our players. And I think that has, you know, that has culminated in, you know, the crazy sort of January period when we paid ridiculous amounts of money to get these players off the books. And we've missed out on so much value from you know, extracting value from these players. They've been allowed to just stay at the club for far too long. And we've missed our chance. We've, we've bought the wrong players, but then we've also, you know, let them sort of run down their contracts, paid them lots of money and then get nothing in return for them. So, you know, this is all catching up with us now. And I think the churn will continue in the summer. Whether, you know, like you, I, um, I've always been, a as an Arsenal fan, I support the manager and, and the players. And of, of course, that's come under scrutiny sort of a, a lot over the course of the season. But... I don't see the Cronkies, they don't have the experience. They're not the kind of owners who will, you know, act until they absolutely have to. And I think they'll know that Arteta and the project and just the mitigating circumstances, I think that will be maybe enough to sort of see Arteta through the summer. And of course, you know, plans with Edu and Arteta. You just have to hope that there's some sort of method to this. And who are we to know? Who are they to know as well? Because they're inexperienced. The Cronkies are inexperienced. They they don't have an executive at the top. I mean, they had Raul Sanyehi there, and we all know what a disaster that was, but he was at least experienced. But that went wrong. And then we've sort of promoted 
from within. We've got Vinay Venkatesham, who, you know, he's still 40 years old. He doesn't have any experience sort of running a football club, really. Edu, has he proved it? No. Arteta, no. So we're going to have to trust these guys unless, you know, the Cronky... Well, Richard, Richard Garlick's coming in, which will be interesting to see. And I know his brief is very much on the contract side. So I whether he'll be involved in strictly renewals or also be kind of set up to deal with kind of contract negotiations when we're acquiring a player. Mm. I think he'll be quite an important figure. Obviously he is experienced, you know, spent a long time at West Brom at the Premier League as well. So hopefully, and I don't know how highly rated he is in the industry. I think he's got a decent reputation though, but um, he should bring with him some of that experience that you mentioned when we definitely yeah. are missing at the moment. Yeah, I definitely. And I think then the question is the sample size to assess whether Arteta and Edu and Vinay Venkatesham, for example, are the right people to sort of bring the club forward. I think the sample size is too small, but unfortunately, I don't think there's another option. I think they will be the people overseeing this summer overhaul and maybe this is their chance. Maybe, you know, they haven't had the, the sort of right opportunity to, to, to you know, show their worth and, and whether they are the right people for the job. But I think, you know, if the Cronkies were sort of competent owners and cared about the football club, this would not happen. You know, Arteta would not be on in charge on his own. He wouldn't be the manager of a football club at his lowest point in sort of its history. He's an inexperienced coach. You wouldn't appoint or keep stick with Edu. You need some sort of experienced oversight. They would put the people in place who know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. And they're, you know, they're aloof. They are absent. And so this is where we are. This is the sort of hand we've been dealt. So I think, you know, we've sort of got to hope that, you know, the faith of the fan and sort of the process and the project. And I know, look, people are sort of losing hope of that very quickly, but you've got to hope that there's some sort of substance to it because otherwise, well, what else? Because we don't have owners or an executive who are capable of changing it, really. I mean, they don't know what they're doing or don't care enough. I mean, maybe they will. And I think this summer will be very important because Arteta will know, as you say, there should be serious conversations going on about his position and the scrutiny he should be under and how they're going to address these shortcomings. If they're going to stick with him, then what are they going to do to, you know, put him in a better position going into next season? Of course, some of these mitigating circumstances will hopefully be offset with the return of fans and, you know, COVID not being so such an, an issue and a relaxed fixture schedule, but he needs help. There needs to be more help from the top down and that has got to come financially as well with backing. Where you know Arteta's come out and said he needs to be, they need to be ruthless as a club. I mean, ironically, if they were ruthless, Arteta would arguably be out of the job right now. But you can sort of extend that to the squad, um, and there's got to be a yeah, a ruthless sort of overhaul this summer. And I know it seems like every summer now that there's going to be a ruthless overhaul, but I think this one will be probably the most important of all. Uh, given the season we've had and the positions of these players. But yeah, just before we go on to sort of, we'll we'll have a look at what there is to do in the summer. I think we have to, let's just talk briefly about the mitigating mitigating circumstances because I think they are unavoidable to discuss. You know, we've, think of the likes of Thomas Partey and sort of the difficulties he had and injuries and fitness and rushing him back and then losing rhythm and, then Xhaka, he starts to build a partnership with him and then that's taken away. Kieran Tierney's been in and out with injury over the last few months. Aubameyang's had, you know, all sorts of issues um, playing in an underperforming attacking team and then, you know, his mum's ill, getting malaria. He's also had the disciplinary issues with the Spurs, you know, being late. Lacazette had a really tough beginning of the season then starts playing well and he's our top scorer with these young players. He fits in and then gets injured. David Louise arguably been our most important defender this season. Then he gets injured. Smith Rowe not around the first part of the season. Erdegaard hit his stride so well and then got injured at just the wrong time. And then the players who are filling in for these guys are Danny Ceballos, Mohamed Elneny, Willian, Cedric Suarez, and Callum Chambers, Rob Holding, Pablo Marie. These players are not good enough to sort of be playing week in, week out for Arsenal. And so the downside 
when we're without these players is just too steep a decline. Um, mm. And then you've, so I think from a playing point of view, and that is just such a big deal. And Arteta has not had the, the squad to, yeah, deal with the demands. And I know he got the players he wanted to last season and maybe they haven't panned out, but, you know, it's, it's still a lot to ask when you don't have those players fit. So look, let's say Arteta's riding it out and we finish decently, and I'm using that very generously in the league, sort of getting as much as we can from the remaining games. Mm. What would you, what do you, what, what do our, what does an Arsenal fan need to see this summer? Um, and, you know, to, to sort of suggest that we're going to give it a, a go next season. And I think to put Arteta in the best position possible up until, you know, we're going to assess him again, probably what Christmas time, November, international break sort of thing. But there's so much that needs to be done, isn't there? I mean, yeah, there, there, <clears throat> there's a lot. I think the first thing I would say to any Arsenal fan um, is we need to be realistic in our expectations. We're not going to spend like Chelsea did last summer to £250 million. We don't have that financial might and everything that a lot of the money I think we'll be able to spend will depend on selling first. Clubs will be aware of that. That will inevitably devalue our, the majority of the players we're looking to sell. I think certain players are sort of insulated. Uh, Joe Willock, for example. Um, but the majority um, are worth dramatically less than what we bought them for. Guendouzi, Torreira, um, Lacazette. You know, all three of them, you know, think cost combined nearly 80 million. I think we'd be lucky to get 40, 30 million in total for those three players, probably, given their contractual situations, their age, and the fact that every club knows we need to sell them. Um, but in terms of issues, midfield still, I think, to me, is the standout issue that needs to be addressed. I know we've been linked with Yves Basuma at Brighton this morning, quite heavily linked with Kamavinga of Wren, who I think would be amazing. I was quite disappointed to read last night that Leicester have agreed to sign Bubakari Sumari. I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce his name, but it's along those lines. Mm. Uh, from Bill, who's a fantastic uh, midfielder of kind of the similar ilk or kind of style to party, but significantly younger and they're, they're top of the league, aren't they, in France, Lille? Yeah, they're top of the league. And PSG, I think they drew last night, PSG. Yeah, they did. So I think the, the ball is very much in their court to win Liga this season, Lille. And, and, and to be fair, credit to, speaking of executives and people who know what they're doing, I mean, Luis Campos at, uh, at Lille definitely... Definitely knows. Is it Campos or Ocampos? I can't remember. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's Campos. The player is a Campos. Yeah, it's Lewis Campos. I think he really knows what he's doing. And someone like him, the way he's kind of continuously rebuilt Lil year after year, despite them often losing their best player or players. Obviously, they sold Pepe to us. Then they sold Ozyman at a great price. <laughs> yeah. They get and they sold Ozyman to Napoli for even more. Yeah. And Gabriel obviously left and came to us and then they replaced him very well with smart recruitment. Yeah. Gilmaz came in, I think it was a free transfer from Galatasaray and he's now had a storm of a season there. Mm. I think that the keeper now is about to leave uh, Mike Megan or I can't pronounce his last name, but looks to be going to AC Milan. Um, but the, their, their recruitment is, is a model we should really be following. This is the thing. Uh, this is what I sort of want to but we'll finish on sort of shortly on, but the, you know, Arteta's coming out and saying that the club needs to be ruthless. And I think you can, you can read into that in so many different ways, but you know, ruthless recruitment, but by the same token, it's like, well, what constitutes being ruthless is that sort of acquiring the targets that Edu and, and Arteta or whoever's in charge of recruitment have, have set in which case is there, a, is there a strong enough basis to suggest that, um, you know, they're the right guys making these decisions. I mean, it's been a slight mixed bag. I mean, maybe it's, you can't really judge Partey and Gabrielle's signings yet. You can definitely judge Willian. 
Um, but, you know, yeah. these players have been playing in an underperforming team pretty much. I mean, you know, Runison was a summer signing as well. Uh, to re-sign Danny Ceballos clearly was not the right decision. Um, so, you know, the, the jury is still out on, on whether, you know, these guys are ruthless enough and have the know-how to, to acquire the right targets. But look, that's what you get when, when you appoint a rookie manager and a rookie sort of technical director or head of football. You have to back them because that's what you've signed up for. And if they're going to be in charge, then that's on the owners and that that's their responsibility. And we know that there are plenty of issues there and that's a discussion for another day, but that's just thing on the signings quickly. Cause you kind yeah. of ran through them and something that I think connects all of the signings that um, have taken place since maybe this kind of January window, um, the 2019, 20 January window where we signed Cedric and Pablo Marie is every signing uh, has been the easy signing, you know, mm. like it wasn't difficult to to sign Runison for a million pounds as a backup keeper. It wasn't difficult to get William on that free transfer. It wasn't difficult to sign Party. All we had to do was play his release calls. Obviously, it's a lot of money, um, but actually doing the deal and the negotiations, they, they weren't difficult. It wasn't difficult to sign Pablo Marie from Flamengo. It wasn't difficult to sign Cedric. And so I think the only difficult signing we've made was the Gabriel signing. Mm. There was genuine interest there from Napoli, Everton and Man United, as well as us. They all wanted him. There were multiple clubs in for him and we won that race. We haven't beaten any other clubs to sign any other players, which I think says a lot. I think, you know, Party obviously can be separated from the rest because he just had a big release clause and we've been scouting him for years. But all mm. the other players we've signed, even Matt Ryan... Um, who's been, I think been a perfectly decent signing. We're not going after players. We're not being kind of ruthless in our pursuits of players as well as the way that we're selling players ruthlessly because we're just going for easy targets who we aren't being kind of... We, we, there's no competition involved. And mm. some of the best signings usually come when you've got to compete against three or four clubs to get the player because those are usually the players that end up having the best careers because... They're the most sought after. For the yeah. yeah. And um and we're we're just not maybe we can't compete and sign those players anymore, or maybe we're choosing to go for the easier options because everyone loves a new signing initially and it's always a great sort of crowd pleaser. But mm. it's 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 an interesting little thing to note that actually we're not you know, when you talk about being ruthless, I think a lot of people immediately go to, well, it's all about kind of being ruthless with who you sell. You know, we don't offer Lacazette extension. We sell him, get William out. That's a ruthless move. But also, I, and it doesn't translate exactly the same, but kind of pursue players who are in high demand ruthlessly and win those battles. Um, don't let, you know, like there was a real sense of we really got one when we got William Saliba or Kieran Tierney Mm. or Pepe, Gabriel, because all of those players we knew were wanted by like loads of other clubs. But, but by the same token, you know, I remember the, this is ringing true of, I remember Raul Sanyehi's words of, you know, Arsenal having a, or Josh Kroenke saying, you know, Arsenal are a Europa League club with a, with a Champions League budget. And Raul Sanyehi's comments, you know, probably about a year ago, year and a half ago of saying, you know, Arsenal need to outsmart the market. And I think actually that's probably translated into outsmart the market, meaning take the easy route or pay over the odds or try and cheat your way out of it because we've lost so much of our competitive edge in the transfer market and, I mean, on the pitch as well. And yeah, that's left us sort of overpaying perhaps for players who maybe are, you know, good players, but we're forced to sort of pay a premium and because we're not the destination that we once were, I think, like you say, the ruthlessness this summer needs to be both incomings and outgoings. You know, you you probably look to sell Hector Bellerin and Alex Lacazette. You definitely look to sell Enketia with you know uh, Balogun signing his his contract extension. You've you've given your bumper contract to Aubameyang, um, so I think you you sell Lacazette, and then you know you've got the loans to sort out. You've got Torreira, Kalasenac, Genduzi who you're probably all looking to sell, or if you know there's a gap in the squad where, where maybe you try and reintegrate one of them, you have to be ruthless in that sense. Maitland, Niles and Willock, if they're not featuring in your long-term plans, 
those are two who can generate a good amount of money because they're young, they're English, and they've got a bit of experience under their belts. You have to use William Saliba and maybe Mavropanos, who's impressing in Germany, and you don't re-sign David Luiz. Ceballos goes back, Matt Ryan, do you sign him? Martin Erdegaard. I mean, there's so much to do with those sorts of players, and that basically is about half of our playing squad. So again, it's a huge job. And look, it's so at odds with the people who are in charge of overseeing this huge job. I mean, why do we expect Arteta and Edu to, to do, do well at it? They're not experienced in this field and that responsibility lies with the owners and their only option if they're going to stick with these guys is to really try and put the, the frameworks in place to support them. And that comes with money and that also comes with senior sort of appointments and maybe Richard Garlick will help in that sense. But it's still very uncertain whether these people are the right people to oversee this, this seismic sort of churn of players and resources. And yeah, I guess as fans, all we can do is try and hope that the faith will be rewarded and that the Kroenke's faith and commitment to Arteta and Edu is, has some degree of, of, uh, of substance to it. But I think that is what we're waiting to see because at this point, it hasn't necessarily come to pass. And I think, look, neck by next season, if we're not, it doesn't look like we're competing in European football, it's going to be very clear where we are after this summer come September, October, November time. And at that point, if it's not up to scratch and we're not sort of at least competing for a top four place, then, you know, we there'll be serious questions again. So it's just, we just have to get it right. And I think we're in a real perilous moment because there's so much... We are literally, we are a mid-table team now and we've sort of, you know, for clinging on to the top four for so long and then pretty quickly slipping out of it and falling behind others sort of really pushing to compete for those top four places. We are yeah. not even the Europa League side now, we are a mid-table team this season. So look, there is, there's a lot to, to sort of contemplate. And so I just want to ask you if you have any final thoughts about sort of what we've been talking about before we sort of wrap up for today. Sure. No, I mean, I agree. I definitely agree with everything you've been saying. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, you talk about slipping out of the Champions League. I think the thing that's really surprised me is how quickly we've gone from becoming your sort of classic Europa League, sixth place, fifth place, nailed on team, to now being uh, a team who's, you know, we could finish 11th, we could finish 8th, but we're not going to finish any higher and your classic sort of mid-table team. And it's how we kind of deal with that, the reality of that as, as a fan base as well as a club, because I still think a lot of Arsenal fans, and it's not to kind of divide the fan base, but obviously I think primarily it stems from older generations of fans who are obviously just used to seeing success sort of delivered continuously um, whereas, you know, you and I, we, we can't remember really the last time Arsenal won a league title. We were very young. And uh, the last, you know, I, I, I have very vague memories of being in Paris for the Champions League final. I know I was there, but I was seven years old. Mm. And we, and I think generationally, a lot of older Arsenal fans still think of Arsenal as, you know, a team that should be competing with United and City and Chelsea on a weekly basis and on a seasonal basis when really we've got to adjust our expectations and really sort of be realistic and think, well, actually a successful season next season would be finishing sixth and getting Europa League football. It wouldn't be, you know, finishing fourth next season would be, you know, akin to the side that was continuously finishing fourth and third under Wenger from that kind of 2008 to 2014 period, mm. winning the league. Um, that's the kind of gaps we're talking about. We can't even think about realistically, I think, finishing in the top four until maybe the season after next or the season after that. And then you've got to talk about mounting a title challenge. But I think actually winning a title you're talking decades and a lot of the fan base aren't aware of that. And they see Arsenal as historically, and we are historically one of the most successful clubs, not just in this country, but in Europe. But 
that's not that kind of historical success doesn't correlate to the kind of the present and that's a big thing for me is over the summer and over the next kind of year let's keep expectations realistic let's judge Arteta not by Arsenal's historical success but by kind of the modern history so over you know since Wenger stepped down how's he done in comparison to Emery's first season in comparison to last season in comparison to this season what's being improved over a three-year cycle not over a 10-year cycle because we're in, in every way we're not the club we were even when we finished second to Leicester where the, the squad's completely different the manager's different the backroom makeup is different you know and so that would be my kind of final addition is let's just keep things realistic and, and not yeah. not judge people um, by criteria that or, or by standards that really don't hold any sort of relevance to where we are right now because we've fallen so far down yeah, and I think that's that's definitely a good sort of point to end on. I think realistic expectations. I think it's also, it's been difficult to assert those realistic expectations because I remember at the beginning of the season, we're thinking, right, we can build on the, you know, we've signed quite a few decent players and we've re-signed Aubameyang and we've won the FA Cup. So we can build on that and then let's push on for, you know, competing for the Champions League spots. And I think that is something that, we will probably have to see next season. I'm not saying we will finish in the top four, but we have to be in and around it because we've been nowhere near really this season. And I think that is underperformance and hopefully it won't be the case next season, but we need to be in and around it and, and showing that we are competing consistently because I think inconsistency has been the biggest part of it. But look, it's been a, it's been a really long season and, and I know it's not over yet. Um, hopefully... We can have a strongish end to the season on the domestic front. I mean, I'm going to be what obviously I'll be watching the games, but probably with a bit more of a distance, just because you know there's there's not much left to play for, and I think it's been quite an emotionally sort of draining season for football fans in general, but also for Arsenal fans, especially when you're sort of really quite you know keeping up to date and, and really investing all your energy and like like both of us do and plenty of others. So look. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be things to talk about and I'll be keeping an eye on, on the next few games massively and sort of news filtering out about potential summer plans. And obviously we've got the Euros, so that will be a nice sort of refreshing sort of uh, break from the domestic um, and sort of the season as a whole. But I reckon we'll, we'll leave it there for today because we could go on for, for a long time, as you say, talking about the, the long-standing issues and, and where we are and the churn and all of this. But look, that those conversations will happen as and when are fit. Um, a pleasure as always uh, for your time, Johnny. Um, appreciate it, of course. And you can find Johnny uh, on Twitter. Oh, I'll let you plug your own uh, accounts, of course. But Twitter, Johnny Rosen one. Uh, I should know my Twitter handle off by heart. And then obviously, uh, Football Transfer News on Facebook and Football Transfer News underscore official on Instagram. And yeah, always great to be on the pod. So thank you for having me. Excellent. And, and a quick reminder that you can find every episode of That Sums It All Up on my Mixcloud page. You can access all the shows at my Twitter at AlfieSteiner1. As I said, the pods will probably be a bit slower towards the end of the season, of course. If anything significant happens, there'll be a podcast about it. But given where we are and what's left of the season, I think it's going to be a, a quieter end to the season. Um, and maybe that's no bad thing for Arsenal fans. I think there's going to be a lot of in- introspection and and food for thought over the summer to to digest. So as always, thanks for listening. Enjoy your week. And until next time, take it easy. Goodbye.